Hello and welcome to the Aligned Leader Podcast. I'm Daniel Jordi and I'm your host. And on the Aligned Leader, we feature some of the most cutting-edge technology CEOs and digital executives in Switzerland in order to empower next-generation entrepreneurs to cut their learning curve and in order to establish Switzerland as a global digital innovation hub. Welcome to the show. Today I have Pascal Matis, which is the co-founder of Get Your Guide and a wingman. We're going to go into some more details what that means in a second. So Pascal, thank you so much for being on the show. No worries. Pleasure to be here. Great. So let's dig right into your story. Tell us a little bit about your background, about your story um, from a personal perspective, but also from an entrepreneurial perspective that got you where you are today. So how much do I have? 10 minutes or? <laughs> 10, 15 <laughs> no. minutes. Exactly. Perfect. No, the story is not so long. So it's, uh, I'm an electrical engineer by training. I started at ETH here in Zurich and uh, together with uh, four friends, uh, we started Get Your Guide as an evening project. I was working at Siemens at that time as a product manager. And in the evenings, we coded a little bit on our little portal. And uh, when in 2009, we got a first financing round. Then uh, we were able to start the whole project full-time. And since then, we were able to, to grow the co company significantly. Today, it has about uh, 400 employees. Uh, we raised 90 million in total, I guess, uh, dollar US at the moment, and uh, going strong. Uh, but I left the company at the end of uh, 2013, and I joined Google as a, as a salesperson. Uh, helping uh, the CMOs of, of other big companies to to work on their online strategies. And uh, a year ago, um, I left Google to become a wingman, as you said. And uh, now we only invest in startups and we also coach uh, startups and help founders to, to grow their companies. Excellent. So let me, um, let me go back a little bit into your story. Uh, with Get Your Guy, with I mean, was that your first entrepreneurial venture, or was there other stuff before that? So where we actually met, at least two of the of the co-founders of Get Your Guide was ETH Juniors. It's a junior enterprise concept, meaning uh, next to working on our projects and studying, we we had this little sort of a company, and we were ten or twelve people, and we acquired projects from from big co companies and then solved it and, and helped them with students working on, on, on these uh, projects and earning quite, uh, quite some money. That was nice. Uh, but that was the first time when I was feeling this entrepreneurial spirit. And this is when, when, I, when I was hooked and uh, when I wanted to, to start my own business. So what is it about that thing um, that hooked you? What, what hooked you about this entrepreneurial thing? So as an engineer, Basically, that's probably why I became an engineer. As an engineer, you, you want to solve problems. And I just found it really interesting to, to having a, a, a group of people, which is more or less, more or less given. Uh, you can try to attract some new talent. And then you try to make, uh, with, with this group, you, you try to make a business out of it. So you try to find the, the perfect problem which you want to solve, which gives you some revenues and, and just to, to, to getting these mechanics all together and, and make it work. I found this really, really interesting problem solving because it's not only, it's not only smartness, like uh, solve this, this, uh, this uh, 
uh, equation or something, but it's also all these different people which you have to form into a team and, and someone is very, very strong at sale. Uh, another person is may, maybe very good with numbers, so she, she should do the finance part. So, so this whole assembling and, and, and getting together the team and, and bringing this to a success, this is what I, what I like so much about the entrepreneurship. I really like how you're talking about this. When you talk about it like this, it sounds like a, a, a really complex and fun game to play. Is that kind of like how you look at it as like look at entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think I think I, I really look at this. I always thought uh, here is the problem, and so much money or resources you have to assemble a team, and then to try to 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 make and find the, the best solution possible, and being smart about how to do how to how to deal with with the different problems. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Now get your guide. Um, what what was the what was the initial fire that kind of like got you into get your guide? I mean. Switzerland is not really a B2C marketplace um, for most companies at least. Uh, it's a large B2B marketplace when you look at what most companies do. Um, and you know, there's only so many people in Switzerland to reach in a B2C model. You decided to go with B2C, but you also decided to go with a, a very digital uh, company and you decided to um, you know, make this a really big thing. So what, what, what was the initial uh, trigger that got you into Get Your Guide? I think it was uh, naivety. <laughs> we just didn't know how hard it is to to build up a a, a company which which should then reach uh, people around the globe. So we just started off and thought, since the internet is global, obviously we are not launching this for Switzerland. We are launching this for the whole world. At our very first uh, platform we launched, one of the co-founders Tao, he he's uh, has uh, Chinese roots. So we translated the whole platform into Chinese. And when we launched, we were fully bilingual, English and, and Chinese. So we were, we were really aiming high since, since the very beginning. But as I said, we were quite naive and, and figured then out later that it's really, really hard to, to get market share in, uh, in every different market. And every different country or, or culture is different and you have to adapt. You have to adapt everything. So uh, in the end, we did then country by country, but, but the vision in the beginning was global. I think that's a key message there. I mean, you guys started with an English and the Chinese website, which I've rarely seen by now. I mean, it's just a demonstration of how big the vision actually is. And then with that big vision, instead of saying, we just go global right now, actually taking it one step at a time, but always keeping that really big, um, massive key driving vision um, in front of you. I think that is, a, that is the key message here. Now, I'm super curious about that journey. So if you had to point out just, I mean, I know there's probably hundreds of those, but if you had to point down three major challenges that you faced along the way of building this company into now 400 employees, what would you say were those? So now you asked me for three. I, I will just start off with one and then maybe I can uh, remember a second one. So one of the, the most difficult one was, was culture for us. So uh, we grew really, really fast. So in, we were five founders. And by 2013, we were 120 people. And just to keep, the, and we had three locations. So we had uh, one office in Zurich, one we established in, in Berlin pretty, pretty early on. Again, our vision was big. And we also uh, opened one in, in the US. And the interesting thing was, as, as lo so long as we were like 12 people in Zurich, five of them were founders, culture was not an issue. Basically, all the other all the other people they behaved like founders in our eyes, 
And uh, so we thought that's pretty easy. We, and then uh, one of the founders went to Berlin, tried to set up uh, the, the new company, the new office, and he did. And uh, guess what? When we hired 15 people, only one of them a founder, we had a very, very strange culture, which was not at all as we had, we had, as we had envisioned it. And to keep this culture uh, and, and to shape this culture was really uh, a big challenge for us. And how we addressed it, we then uh, figured out we have to write down our values, what we believe in and what we stand for. And uh, this helped us a great deal also with the whole recruiting, recruiting process. So whenever we hired uh, somebody for the company, we were not only looking at the skills they brought in uh, about social media or whatever, but we also looked at does she or he bring and have to share values, uh, the same values as, as we have defined them for, for our culture. And if there wasn't a, a, a culture fit, we would just not hire him or her. Mm, that's a really interesting lesson learned because kind of like what, what you did is, I mean, because hiring and culture is such a complex thing that most, I mean, most of us don't really understand. We can't put it really on paper. Like what is it really? How exactly does it work? How do people work with each other? It's such a complex thing. So what you decided to do is not make the complex more complicated, but actually say, let's make this uh, simple. Let's, let's drill it down into principles and look at these principles, the values, and then figure out what is, where is the, the alignment in those values with the culture, with the company, and the people who come into uh, the company to um, have like that 8% um, probability that things are going to work out really well, and then the rest can be learned. It's sort of like that approach, right? Yeah, and, and we try to do it that way, exactly how you described it. Uh, what, it what was really interesting for me to see is, although we had exactly the same values in all the different offices, we had three cultures. We had a Zurich culture, we had a Berlin culture, and we had a culture for the Las Vegas team. So every, every subculture, so to speak, uh, developed, developed on its own. That was really, really interesting to see for me as a head of HR. Uh, and that's also an interesting point because, um, you know, it's easy to run into this thinking that there has to be one culture. There has to be just one way of doing things and then trying to control this from an HR perspective, from a CEO perspective. Um, but kind of like what you said is, well, it was really powerful to actually let these cultures flourish by themselves in their own ways, as long as they're underneath that same umbrella of the, of the values. And instead of trying to control them, let them basically flourish and thrive. Now, in my opinion, you, you can't force them into, into a specific culture. Every, like, interestingly enough, every new member in a group well, well, if the group is very big, then maybe not so much. But if, if also if it's 20 people, every new member can change the culture a little bit. So uh, I, like our approach then in the end was just we had to live by our values. And as a founder, you have to be really, really good in, about this because every eye is staring at you and looking exactly uh, whom you speak to, how you speak to them. So uh, in the end, we, we just had to make sure that we stick to our rules and values and then hope that the others would follow. So that was our approach. I love that. That's perfect. So this is a great topic. Community culture is such a big thing that um, well, both parties struggle with, the corporates big times, but also the entrepreneurs. Um, so this is great. So tell me about the second challenge. So now I'm really into, into HR topics. So the next biggest thing would be, be hiring, but we, we touched this a little bit. Um, Maybe then the next one I would say is uh, 
is that when do you have to be stubborn and when do you adapt? So it, it's so, so hard also to, to coach now. And when we work with, with uh, entrepreneurs and, 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 and founders, so a good, a good uh, founder has a vision and is, is very strict. So he or she only follows uh, and, and, and tries to go there and, and is very stubborn. So they wouldn't change and wouldn't adapt their plan. But sometimes you have to be flexible. And, and this is really so hard to explain. When is the time that I have to change the plan? And when should I be stubborn? So for me, this is the, when, where, where it makes the whole decision if a, if a, if a, if a leader is uh, successful or not. Because he has to be a very good uh, decision maker. And uh, often he has to be stubborn, but sometimes when he has so many, when he has the feedback like 10 times, maybe he should think about changing it slightly. So it's, it's hard. I, I don't know how you, how you call this, uh, stick this together in a topic, but, but when to take a decision and when to change plans, that would be a really crucial point in, uh, in entrepreneurship. Yeah, this is a really, really good uh, point. It, it kind of like goes into the direction of the first thing you shared with the values, because um, I think what you're saying is that stick with your vision always that's that that really doesn't change in terms of but vision is well vision is a word different people use for different things but vision is that really big picture that end thing that's not even tangible most of the time like what is the absolute end thing in 50 years from today that's sort of the vision right if it's if we say that's the vision that's not really going to change neither are the values but <laughs> the market may change the product may change everything else may completely change and that's pretty much okay as long as it's in alignment with that vision and with that values and it, and it kind of like helps that it works. But this is, this is exactly the hard part because I see founders, they change their business model every half a year and this is not healthy. Mm. So we changed our business model as well. So in the beginning, we were peer-to-peer. -peer. We were more or less a student platform. So if somebody goes to, goes to San Francisco, uh, a student or a young person would show them around if they would come to Bern or Zurich, we would show them around. So that was the initial plan. And it took us really a lot of effort to say, okay, no, this didn't work. And uh, let's pivot. And now we're doing the B2C thing. Let's go to the professional tour and activity providers and help them distribute their products online. That was for us, it was a, a, a huge shift. And it took us a half a year or more in, in development. We had to, to rebuild the whole, the whole platform and onboard all these different suppliers. That was a, a huge effort, but we, we did this once in a, in a span of almost 10 years now. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a good message. Like don't change your business model every, every, every half year, but stick with something. And if it works, you know, go down that route as long as it's aligned. Uh, and then if it really, if you kind of like really see, okay, there's, there's something that needs to change, change it, but then doesn't, don't just change it in a heartbeat and just say okay let's go with this now but change it in a conscious way yeah exactly but this is exactly the part which i'm struggling to to explain but this is exactly what i mean so if we wouldn't have changed there get your guide wouldn't exist today if we would have changed the, if the second version within in the end turned out to work but after half a half a year guess what it didn't really look very cool so we could have turned it down or changed it again. But then we were right that we stick to the business model and we tried to make it work because we somehow knew it should, somehow we should make this, be able to, to make this work. 
I love that. I love that. So this is, this is, this is very, very powerful. Um, once again, what's the third challenge? Third challenge. Uh, I didn't want to speak about it, but the raising funds, <laughs> this is just to, to go, to go out to the, to the investors, uh, figuring out how, how this investor world works and then sell you really well and, and, and try to strike a deal. That was, uh, that was tough and uh, we had some really great learnings there on on the way. Mm, okay, okay. So this is a good one. I kind of like want to go into the HR thing again because I think we kind of skipped that, um, hiring talent, because it kind of like goes in a similar direction like the first one about culture, but I think it's still a separate topic from actual culture. It's sort of like the before people join. Yeah. So how, how because, to get the talent on the bus. Yeah. Exactly, because like I you know Pascal Kaufman really well, right? I talked to him about this and well, you know, it's kind of like 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 with, with them, it was topic about like why should somebody join them instead of Google, right? For example. And he had a really interesting perspective on that as well in terms of philosophy, in terms of values. So that's why I want to go there because you mentioned that already. So tell me a bit about that. I mean there's, there's talent out there and as a, as a young company sometimes or even as a bigger company, sometimes it's really hard to just buy them out of the market, right? So what do you do instead? Yeah. So, and it's a good question for me since I worked at Google and uh, when I was at Get Your Guide, we also uh, fought against Google because they wanted to grab the best engineers right away from, from university. And uh, yeah, if, if you have these mindsets or people with the mindset that they want to go to the market leader or to a big brand, you have no chance anyway. But there is also the people who, who want to be uh, responsible for, for a big, big part of the product. So obviously at Google, you also are responsible for, for millions or even billions of, of, of users, but, but only of a fraction of a product often. So uh, at, at Get Your Guide, you could be responsible for a horror, for let's say for the backend, for the tour suppliers which is a huge thing for, for, our, for our business. If you, if you fuck this up, then uh, uh, we are out of business, basically. So uh, if, if you are looking for this entrepreneurial spirit and, and entrepreneurial-minded people, then you have a really good chance to, to get, them, get them on board. Yeah, so kind of like the message that I heard there from you is, um, if you wanna get people on board with your company, um, make sure you get, those on board that are in alignment with that. You know, don't, don't try to buy out people from Microsoft or Google if they want to just work with a bigger company. I mean, that's totally fine. Like everybody's free in today's world or most people are free in today's world. So, I mean, what's the point? Like, uh, so kind of like, it's more about um, um, getting, getting them where they are today. If they want to be more entrepreneurial, they may not be a founder, right? They may, it may not be their thing but they may want to work with founders and that may be their biggest joy and their biggest drive. So that's, that's the goal, right? Yeah. And, and some, a lot of people I meet, they don't really want to do this very first initial step, which is really hard. Assemble the first few people, uh, found the company, try to build a functionally working prototype or something, and then trying to bring this into the market. I mean, this is just very, very hard and, and almost gambling. So, but there is a lot of people who, who like this, this entrepreneurial spirit, but they want to join something which seems to work. So uh, let's put it that way. And these people you have to find. And then the other part, point, which I often see is uh, founders think it's wrong to spend too much time 
hiring people. And uh, they don't just uh, spend enough time, in my opinion. And uh, I mean, we did exactly the same mistake as well. So uh, we, we then, when we were 40 or 50 people, we, we stopped uh, the rule that a founder would have to interview every new employee. And uh, after half a year, we had a total mess because the people we hired, they didn't hire other people which we would have led into the, into the company. So after half a year, we went back and said, we, we won't hire anybody uh, before we had a founder interview. So uh, it's just what I tell the startups uh, these days is uh, that it's totally fine to invest a big chunk of their time to, to find the best people working for the company. As an investor, I, I basically look a little bit uh, at the market and the product and, and, and the solution, etc. But I mainly look for the team. And if they are able to, 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 to assemble a very good team, then uh, I'm almost, almost uh, investing already. Mm. This is great because it kind of like goes into scaling, you know, because when we talk about scaling, usually we just talk about external scaling, you know, markets and, and customers and things like that. But how do you scale recruitment internally if, you know, because when you get to a certain size, it may actually make sense to no longer be in there as the founder in the process. But then you need to do what you talked about um, before, which is about the values, which is about having those really core powerful strong values very clearly somewhere so that other people who understand that and embody this can actually follow that with the new hires and things like that that's a really interesting actually, topic i would actually go the other the other the other path i would even uh, i would hire everybody for specific topics but not for hiring for me it's totally fine if the if the ceo spends 60 to 80 percent mm just finding the best people to work for him and doing all this other stuff which has to be done in the company. But I just haven't seen hmm. many, many uh, HR or recruitment or something spe specialists uh, who would bring this, this founding vision and, and, and founding, founding a personality to also, it's not only hiring, but this is the other part we talked about. It's also selling the company to a new employee. And hmm. almost nobody can do, can do this better than the founder himself. So uh, I wouldn't shift hiring from the founders. Mm. I like that perspective. Perfect. Thanks for sharing that. So let's go a little bit into your present. So what's up today? Tell us a little about, tell me a bit about Wingman and also kind of like what's going on. So you're an investor now, you're a Wingman, you're working with startups in different capacities. What's up? Yeah, since about three years, I uh, accidentally turned uh, out to be a business angel. I didn't, I didn't even know if I, if I would be a good business angel or, or if I would enjoy it. But this is the case, or at least the second is the case. I enjoy uh, doing it. So uh, the, the young generation of founders, they just reached out to me and asked me, so how, how did you raise funds? How did you open up this office in, in Vegas, et cetera, et cetera. And then you start helping them a little bit. Of, of course, it's very interesting because you, you remember how, how tough these uh, times were and, and, and you are a little bit on, on, on the, on the backseat of the car and uh, from time to time they update you and then someone they uh, are at the point that they need to raise another round of financing and then obviously they know that you have a little bit of, of cash in the bank and they want to make you a, a, a investor and uh, I invested into 15 companies I think by now and uh, try to help these founders um, along their path 
with uh, ideas and uh, feedback and uh, negotiations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So how do you how do you pick? I mean, do you just pick the industries that you know from your past? Do you pick completely new industries that you've never been in? Do you don't care about the industry actually, or do you just care about the team? Like, how do you make those decisions? To be very honest, I I don't even pick. It's just a passive influx which comes to me through through uh, my network. So in, and in the beginning, I thought I could only maybe invest in something which which has to do with the internet, where I can where I can uh, share a bit of of, of know how. Uh, what I what I learned is though that most often they don't have a problem with the product or or not too much or the core technology because that that's where the, where the founders are coming from often there are some some very well educated engineers they can do the products part much better than i could but what they struggle with is all all the part we were talking about on on like growing a company uh, from 5 to some hundreds people so uh, this is the part where where i come in where i help them uh, with some legal stuff, with uh, financing rounds, often is a, is an issue. Then the culture stuff we were talking about. So all these, or sometimes they have uh, a problem between the founders or something. This is when when a wingman uh, can step in and and can help. By the way, I love the description. Like it's such a it's such a great way of talking about it. You know, wingman. Um, I think it's brilliant. It's not it's not because there's lots of descriptions about what this is in a corporate way. You know. But uh, I think it fits perfectly for the startup community. <laughs> yeah, we, we always make like Lucas, my, my wingman. <laughs> he, uh, we make always the, the joke. It's just, it's just actually the, 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 the thing works really well. It's like uh, the, the startup is it's in its own plane and we are next to, to them. So we are not actually, we are not in the same plane. We just try to help them not getting shot from behind and, and maybe uh, some tactics where we want to fly next. So it's re, it's re, I think it, it works. Then the startups after the second workshop or so, they understand what we mean by being their wingman. So this is great. Thanks for, thanks for diving into that. I totally agree. So let's talk a little bit about the future. Now, um, I'd like to talk about two things, uh, about your experience with, uh, with Get Your Guide from a B2C perspective, but also from, a, from an industry perspective in terms of what's going on in digitalization. Where do you see... Um, this the industry is kind of going in in terms of digitalization there and also in terms of Switzerland because you you're now investing in lots and lots of companies in Switzerland so you get a you get a good sense and feel of the market of what's what's going on so let's start with get your guide where do you see that industry I mean first of all you've seen it where it's coming from where, where it's coming from basically so what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen over the past 10 years or so and where do you think it's going to be 10 years from today so we were right at that step where uh, people started to book uh, all their travel uh, parts online. So for flight and hotels, it was already done. And that's why, why we came uh, to the party and said, hey, why, why does it stop there? Why, why can't we book uh, our tours and activities, attractions also uh, on the internet? This is basically where we came from. We just didn't understand. And 10 years later, uh, we were right. People also want to book these kind uh, of tours attractions online and uh, yeah maybe also yeah it's, it's it's a very good question where where it is in 10 years i'm not even sure if 100 uh, percent of the bookings etc will be online so uh, the interpersonal uh, relationship etc is still still very strong so uh, 
I would even argue it's not 100% done through, through, through online channels. I, I think for a certain uh, kind, kind of uh, people, also people uh, with, with, who have a bit more money and uh, less time since they work hard, etc., maybe they want to have offline services of, of somebody uh, picking for them of, or of somebody who has been there at a certain location and just telling them uh, what to do. So yeah, hard, to, hard to me to predict. So, so let's maybe, I'm just challenging you now. Let's maybe take a step further. So it's offline online, right? But I, when I'm thinking about it as well, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a bit crazy, <laughs> but I'm thinking like if virtual reality is at some point as real as when I look out a window, will I be for some parts of my travels just be sitting at home with, you know, maybe not the clunky thing, right? But with something that is much, much more natural and just go through it because of the experience. Will I be surfing in Costa Rica um, over lunch with my VR thing or in my VR room or something like that? And, you know, augmented reality is another, is another piece. And also when it comes to like AI, for example, right? AI is such a huge thing. Like everybody talks about AI. Like um, now, you know, the suggestion, for Amazon is a good example, right? I get pretty good suggestions from Amazon on what I want to buy and stuff like that. But I think there's so much more in the future we can do with, with AI, with, with, you know, with, uh, with machine learning. And like, for example, when I pick up my iPhone, it knows when I actually want to um, do something with it or I just want to pick it up. It, the, the, uh, the screen stays black or it goes on. So stuff like that, and it learns my patterns. And in, in, in travel, I mean, do you think we're going to be at a point where it's just going to be so customized in terms of we don't even have to um, uh, go too much into planning where, okay, I want to fly from here to there and then I will book a hotel on a car, but it's just based on all the patterns and all, everything that it knows and learns about me. It just goes like, here's your schedule. Yeah. Maybe you picked the wrong one for these questions. I knew, I knew you would come up with virtual reality and, uh, and maybe 50 years. We, we have all of this stuff. I just, I have just worked too long maybe in the travel industry and I've worked with, with uh, very big uh, travel clients also at Google. And I have just seen how slow everything is and how difficult it is to, to get all these moving parts together. So yeah, I, would, I, would not, I would not be too, too uh, excited about the changes in the next five, 10 years. I think it, it, it would uh, stay, stay more or less the same. Obviously, virtual reality is really cool, but I think more of it as 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 inspirational tool. I still think that it it can't replace uh, the real experience at the location. Uh, so I would think this is is a very good dreaming phase, uh, excitement phase uh, tool. So uh, find out about Costa Rica first, and then you travel there as inspiration. But I'm not too much. Uh, I have just seen how slow everything reacts, and and you mentioned Amazon. How, how smart this is, but, but at so many websites, etc. I'm, I'm thinking, man, this website doesn't really understand who I am. Why do I get these strange uh, boots, which I would never buy? Uh, so, yeah, I, I know everybody is talking AI, and I'm an electrical engineer, but I just think <laughs> it takes a little bit longer than we all expect and, and dream. Absolutely, this is uh, it's a really interesting perspective from somebody who's really deep in the industry. Because um, it's always, um, you know, interesting to talk to people who are actually in the industry. Like uh, there's a, uh, like Pascal Kaufman just shared an article a couple of days ago or something like that. Or he, he talked about this at the uh, at the EDH uh, 
uh, speech that he's that he's done about like most artificial intelligence, um, you know, the doomers, the ones that say you know it's gonna it's gonna doom, they're not actually in AI. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like so. It's really interesting for me also to talk about people who are actually in that thing. It's what it's yeah. it's a bit like the same when you talk to people who are just consultants. <laughs> And they don't really do anything real. <laughs> yeah, that's, a little, that's exactly a little bit my feeling. And as an investor, at how many pitch decks I see this AI or machine learning, etc. And if you then go very, very deep into the company, obviously they wouldn't tell you right at the beginning. But after a couple of months of, of coaching, then you figure out the AI is just not really the AI. At the moment, it's very manual. And a very basic algorithm is just doing the, the whole thing. And they just have the, the AI tag or label on it so i'm just a little bit reluctant obviously i, I mean uh, google uh, google photos etc they do some amazing stuff but but they invested like 15 years to 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 get to this point i'm just yeah hopefully i'm wrong and then and, and it will below be much faster but i'm just a bit, bit hesitant okay so let's talk about switzerland uh, we talked about this in a, in a previous conversation a little bit and i'm really curious about hearing your perspective switzerland and innovation uh, Switzerland and an entrepreneurship. Where do you see like the state of the art today? I mean, you're very deep into that field yourself, and you see very deep into that field. So, where do you see it compared to maybe some other um, innovation hubs around the world? And also, where do you where do you think entrepreneurship is going here in Switzerland, and where it should be going in the next five, ten years? Yeah, talking innovation, I think we are at a very great spot with. Uh... ÖPFL in Lausanne and ETH in, in Zurich. And what we see, uh, Lucas and myself, what we see, like the ideas and, and technologies coming out and the, the founder's potential is, is amazing. So I think, yeah, we are very lucky to, to having these uh, organizations in the, in, in the country and really, and really bring technology forward. So uh, in, in many uh, hotspots, I'm not mentioning any cities, but uh, in, in many hotspots, we have, we have cool ideas and cool businesses, but technology-wise, most often it's not uh, like bleeding edge or something totally new. And I think out of these universities here in Zurich and, and Lausanne, there is some real crazy technology coming out, which is actually new and which can define uh, new areas or, or making really a huge step uh, Okay. So the, mm -hmm. the other point was uh, entrepreneurship, I guess. Yes. Uh, there, I think uh, it, it changed to the better. So when we when we founded Get Your Guide, entrepreneurship was not even a career trap or a career track, I have to say. So uh, building your own startup was uh, not 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 a way of of do, like that. That wasn't the idea. Doing it uh, after, in the first year after after you graduate. So normally you go to a consultant or a bank or uh, you go to ABB as an engineer, but nowadays I, I speak often to the entrepreneur club at, at ETH and I think they do a really good job. And nowadays it is a career option for, for some of the students to, to try and build their own company, which I think is great. And the only thing, and the Swiss people, we, we have this, uh, we are a bit uh, not too much risk taker. So I think since we have these very nice jobs left and right, so to really choose the hard option, let me put it that way, and to try to do your own thing is, uh, is not so, like, like not too many people have this, have this bug so far. And I hope that, that this will change. 
and also on the investment side, uh, the same risk uh, is is not being taken. So uh, I I see many investors they look at many cases, but nobody wants to be the first, for instance, to then invest really in a company. They all wait until uh, the, the the few uh, lead investors are joining, and then maybe they do a small ticket and also co-invest. But I I would love to have since we have so much money in Switzerland, it's amazing. Uh, there is really a lot of wealthy people, and I would would love if if some of them could change their mind a little bit and, and start to take some risk and uh, also if they, they lose the money. But, but it's, it's, such, it's so cool to, to help these entrepreneurs uh, trying to get this idea into, a, into, a, into the market, uh, come up with a really nice product and, uh, and get some decent revenues. And I think if we could work a little bit on, on this whole risk-taking part in Switzerland, that would help a great deal. Now, this is a great topic. So you're one of the few investors in Switzerland I know who invest in early stage companies. I know plenty who go like, well, we do 20 to 40 million companies, you know, in revenue. And, you know, that's it, right? So uh, what do you think is required in Switzerland in, in a country that is really very much safety driven in, as a culture, basically? Um, what do you think is, is required here for you know, the wealthy individuals, um, maybe VCs. I don't know if there's such a big, there's not a big scene in Switzerland in terms of VC, but just in terms of investors in general, what do you think is required for them to make that leap to say, well, okay, let's, let's change that. It's tough. I mean, they, they have often, they have run their own companies and they are obviously familiar with balance sheets and balance sheets of a startups. They look horrible to a, to a normal person or investor. It's just, it's just a total no go. And uh, that's actually a really tricky question on how to, how to educate them. This is what we do at, at Wingman sometimes, or sometimes uh, uh, business angels or like uh, investors who want to do their first deal at the, at, the, at the seed stage. They come to us and, and come with the whole pitch deck, et cetera, and, and, and ask us for a second opinion. And then we have to tell them that it's, that, that it's okay. They, they plan this hockey stick and obviously then out of... Uh, or nine out of ten, they they will never achieve this. But this is just what, how we dream about it, and and uh, maybe if you can open then this door, then maybe we can achieve it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we are educating them, but it takes a lot of time. And yeah, it's a really good question, I, and I, I haven't found the answer. Uh, but just uh, talking to them repeatedly, often, and then someone when they do the first two three investments, they 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 figure out that it's so cool to to and that they learn a great deal from the founders and with the founders because they 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 try to figure out which strategy is the best then three months later you figured out if this was working out or not so it's not only the money you invest and maybe you get something back or not it's also it's a lot of fun to work with the founders and you also learn a great deal uh, because you're so close to the business now this is this is interesting because most most investors, at least most investors I know, they are entrepreneurs themselves. You know, they that's how they became wealthy, right? So what do you think? I mean, so they are entrepreneurs themselves. Now investing in entrepreneurs is sort of like investing in themselves just earlier, right? So what do you think is different? Do you think it's such a huge generational gap? It's such a huge difference in terms of how the world is run that they don't even recognize themselves anymore in those, new, in those young entrepreneurs? Or what do you think it is? I think most often, like in, in, in the older days, 
there weren't these very rapid growth cases. So you, you started with your little uh, uh, factory and then you maybe you enlarged it a little bit and you enlarged it a little bit and then maybe you went to Germany, sold some products there and then maybe to France, etc. And so nowadays with the internet, etc., cetera, uh, you, you can do this at a much faster pace. And this is what they, what they struggle with because the founders, they dream of the whole world and the entrepreneurs know how long it, to it took them to get Switzerland and maybe a part of Germany and a little bit of France. So they just think this is impossible. But mm. with an online service, obviously it is possible. So it's maybe we have to wait for this generation which did their businesses and successes with online and, and, and these uh, faster technologies. And these guys, they would understand or, or have a better or an, an easier view on, on, on these uh, pitch decks and balance sheets of the, of the uh, today founders. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Maybe you should open a school, um, you know, that teaches um, the older generation of entrepreneurs and investors about, about digital. <laughs> <laughs> we thought about this. Maybe you see soon a section on, on the Wingman website where it is uh, for investors and maybe we do a small class or something. We actually thought about it. If, the, if, the, if people apply for it, then we are going to, to offer something like this. Looking forward to that. Excellent. So uh, one last question about um, Wingman specifically about your, your, your activities. So um, I'm always kind of like looking, you know, for the people who watch this and, and for the community and everything to, 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 to make certain connections. So um, this is always a spot where people say, well, you know, if I had access to this, if I had access to that, it will make, you know, the growth, it will make this and this much easier, much faster. Is there something that you'd say, well, if I, had, if I had access to this or that, it could be anything from best practices to skills to networks to whatever it may be that will make the growth and the progression of Wingman and your impact faster, easier, more scalable? So we work with startups and we work with fellow investors. And both of these uh, stakeholders are very welcome. Cool startups or just uh, give us a ring, uh, call us up and we have a coffee together and we're always interested to, to learn and, and hear from them and the same is true for the investors if we are like the more the merrier if, if we have more investor connections in Switzerland we can help the startups match with the with the investors and we have more cases which are being uh, funded and hopefully we have a really big case soon uh, coming out of Switzerland I love that so uh, follow up to that where can people connect find you learn more about wingman it's wingman.ch. Okay. So that's the main thing. To, that's the main place to go. Perfect. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much uh, for being here, uh, Pascal, for sharing your insights, your story. And that uh, was very inspiring. It was a pleasure. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to The Aligned Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you get full access to all the newly released episodes every Wednesday. Do you have any topics that you would like us to cover? Then send us an email to daniel at leadersbridge.org and we'll work on it. And if you'd like to learn more about our initiatives, for example, like the CEO Collaboration Day, head over to leadersbridge.org.